This is the business of sports. Should Major League Baseball shorten up the season? How do we present football to the audience of the future? I don't think that most players understand the power that they have. Michael Barr. The future of IndyCar racing is looking bright. Scott Soshnick. Very basic math here. More bidders means more money. Evan Novi williams The team value has essentially quadrupled. And the leaders in the sports industry. Time to bring in our guest, Hal Steinbrenner. National Hockey League Commissioner Gary Bettman. Atlanta Braves President Derek Schiller. Patriots President Jonathan Kraft. Bloomberg Business of Sports. From Bloomberg Radio. Hello, I'm Michael Barr. I'm Evan Novi-Williams. And I'm Scott Soshnick. Every week at this time, plus Mondays and Wednesdays, we explore the big money issues in the world of sports. Today, we sit down for a conversation with Christine Lilly, retired U.S. soccer player and member of the U.S. women's national team for 23 years. Any ways that we can help the game grow and give girls a visibility of seeing someone like, oh my gosh, these girls played, now they're coaching, then that gives them hope and dreams. And I think we got to keep that alive for the young people. But also, U.S. soccer has to take a hold of it in our country and invest the way they invest in the men's side. More from our conversation with Christine Lilly coming up. But first, let's look at some of the top stories of the week. First, we have word that United Airlines is offering nonstop flights Catering to the college football schedule. Bar, you know I like smart, right? Yeah. Uh, I You just wonder why no airline has uh, done whatever or promoted this. United has decided that on certain college football weekends, they're going to offer special routes like Auburn, Oregon, LSU, Texas, Alabama, South Carolina, Georgia, Notre Dame. They know people are going to be trying to go to and from these cities on obviously Friday and maybe back Saturday, Sunday, and they're going to make that available to anyone who needs to fly between the big game of the week. Yeah, we'll see how popular these are. Uh, the list is, you know, it's only one college or two football flights, but blue buds, right? It's SEC schools, it's Notre Dame. Um, but yeah, this is uh, this is a clever idea. Um, and if you can get enough people, I, the school should do this, right? Shouldn't the Ohio State should, should make money on a charter or whatever? Well, it's funny. Um, United, after I tweeted, and I was like, hey, this is a good idea, whatever. Um, they tweeted me, hey, hope to see you, Sashnik, in one of these flights. <laughs> and, and I went back, I scanned the game. I'm sorry, no Syracuse games, not going to happen. <laughs> <laughs> but it is a smart idea. I, uh, and you're right. I'm amazed that other airlines have not thought about this. I, I'd love to see the dollars and cents and the calculus that went into. You know, somebody had the idea and then had to bring it to a bean counter and they said, well, we can or cannot make it work. But I mean, I would think just for the publicity alone that I think it's gotten add, add a few uh, decimal points there. Yeah, there should idea. be there should be programming on these planes, too. Absolutely. Right? Like the, the, the video highlights, should be like highlights or montage. Yep. You can get, you know, maybe a former player on one of the schools to, to, to speak in the middle of the flight. I think there's a lot you can do with this idea. Hi, I'm think Jerome Bettis. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Ask me anything. Yeah, what do you need to know about my time at Notre Dame? You yeah. don't have to take a bus. You can yeah, fly. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> see what I did? Oh, I did see what you did. I actually thought it's actually kind of good. See, thank you, man. Yeah, I appreciate it. It's because your feet are apt. Thank you, <laughs> Moving right along. We'll get. Uh, we'll explain that in a second, folks. Uh, MLS loosening ad restrictions on liquor and uh, sports books. Yeah, like a lot of other leagues, you know, MLS is is reevaluating the the partnerships that its teams can uh, can sign. And 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 this year they've announced, you know, liquor and sports betting are, are two two categories that are now open. So teams can partner with Jack Daniels. They can partner with DraftKings. You, you'll see, probably going to see t- uh, brands from both of those industries on MLB, Marijuana, MLS jerseys. some states, sports betting. My Lord, Jack 
Daniels has been taboo? <laughs> this is insane. Yeah, this is actually interesting because I didn't fully realize most leagues for a long time separated liquor beer from, from beer and wine. Yeah. Um, and that is shifting, I think, partially because of some kind of social acceptance. But I, more importantly, I th- in my opinion, the, the consumer patterns have shifted so much. There's a lot of money right now flowing from beer and wine to liquor. Uh, and as that happens, you know, liquor companies are more interested in spending, right? Diageo's so, happy. M- more yeah. advertising. Yeah. Uh, so as the category gets more enticing, and, and certainly sports betting is becoming uh, a, a more enticing category as well, I think that leads, you know, sports leagues to say, hey, really? maybe we should do, do this. Do you see a correlation between perhaps the spirit consumer and sporting events, Eben? Uh, I do. <laughs> Just a little mm. bit. Yeah. Do you really see this? <laughs> well, bar, what, what's your drink of choice bar? Uh, my is rum. Rum and Coke, right? Rum yeah. and Coke. But you know what? I mean, racing has done this for a while. NASCAR, they, they've sponsored, Crown Royal has sponsored a race. Mm. So, and it, this has been going on for a while now in, in some sports. Just not, just not Marlboro and Winston. No. And it, right. No, that, that's another story. Yes. And, by the way, I have to explain before we move on, you talked about my rap I wanted Because I wanted everybody on this show to know about it, too. Yeah. Not oh just listeners gosh. of the earlier yes. show, this gosh. show, too. I, I have thick socks on. And it's a very hot day in New York. Yes, and, and I put them on because, Scott, like, aren't those too thick for this day? And I said, look, I put lotion on my feet, and I want <laughs> to have pretty feet. So I'm like, hey. You can't use regular dress socks, so you have to use the... Huge shout-out to anybody who can tweet to Bar at Big Bar Sports (laughs) the correlation between the feet and the movie Seems Like Old Times. Does anybody remember (laughs) one of the characters the movie Seems Like Old Times had a foot issue? Anyone who can tweet to Bar at Big Bar Sports, big kudos. What have you set me up for? We'll find out. Uh, I'm crying about this next topic. Uh, I knew you'd like this one. There are a lot of memories, man. The Palace of Auburn Hills, where the Pistons played for many years. Now they've moved back to the downtown area yeah. in Detroit. Uh, the Palace is going to be demolished. I have one memory of the Palace. <laughs> The, the malice at the <laughs> yeah. palace, yeah, yeah very famous. Uh, right event that off the basketball all. court, yeah. Well, you know, I have a personal tie to this one bar. I don't know if you've been listening when I've when I've yes, spoken in the past. Have. Yes, that my cousin, my my since deceased cousin Bob Sosnick, yeah. the Detroit part of the family lost the H. I don't know why and how. Sosnicks went to New York. Sosnicks were in the Midwest, and he was one of the owners, one of the original owners. With Bill Davidson, helped build the palace. Offered me a job coming out of school at the in-house studios, but I wanted to stay in New York. Right. Um, but yeah, I mean, this is this was a big deal at the time. This suburban arena oh, for Detroit. This yeah. was at, at back in the day. This was the premier sports and entertainment place. So, this was along that era, along with the Pontiac Silverdome, where yeah. the teams were moving out from the the hub of the city. And moving out. So, yeah, you're right. The yeah. Palace whatever, was, was big. Whatever big. highway that was, you just go from the airport, well, past well, the big tire, yeah, yeah, past the big tire, past 8 Mile, and then out toward the suburbs. And, right. and Detroit is not a big enough market so that it can have... You know, a, a smaller or you know separate concert well, venue. Well, could it have been like of... L.A. a suburban? It's, it's yeah. like it maybe kept it as something. Yeah, but I believe Tom Gore's is is buying it back. He he's part of the group that's buying it. And they're going to put up. In conjunction with another real estate development firm, 
a a big complex. Hmm. So staying in the family, but not going to be a sports venue anymore. I was proud of the Pontiac Silverdome when they were trying to uh, implode it. Yeah, it didn't want it to implode. Go. Right. Um, Unlike thinking, the team, which weekly. It, <sighs> sorry, too easy. <laughs> Oh, my. Uh, Anyway, up next on the show, uh, I'm heading out. Well, you come in so early that when we do these afternoon afternoon interviews, it's a lot to ask you to stay 17 hours. So (laughs) It really would be. Today, we're joined by Christine Lilly, retired U.S. soccer player, member of the U.S. women's national team for 23 years. Scott, she's won multiple World Cups, gold medal, NCAA champion. She she was on the national team in high school. school. That's insane. Yeah. It is a, a, a very accomplished uh, athlete. She last played professionally for the Boston Breakers, and now she's the author of a new book titled Powerhouse. Christine, in studio, thanks very much for coming. Thank you guys for having me. You getting your steps in in New York? <laughs> I'm getting my steps in. That's what we're talking about? You going for 10,000 a day? Yeah, I think I'm pushing it up to 13. 13 has been my lucky number, so 13,000 might Not be too bad. Yeah. I love, by the way, one of the things we've seen in the broadcast of the Women's World Cup, when there's a substitution... Do you notice they show how far a player has run during the match? You know what? I haven't noticed that, but I know they have all this data on them. I think that's pretty awesome. What do you think about data and sports and kids and attracting new eyeballs? It's The game isn't enough anymore. You know, people are watching on Twitch. and yeah. We're talking about attracting kids, and we'll get to that in a bigger right. scope. But you know that the... The broadcast itself is changing. It is, and it's uh, you see it really relevant in this World Cup with the VAR and everything that's going on. I mean, I think there's levels of it. Uh, obviously, we're growing with what's happening in the world technology-wise, and it's interesting, I think, to know how much a player is running. Um, and I think some other data for soccer is maybe not so relevant, but uh, for the most part, I think it, it brings people in that maybe don't understand the the. Com- how much it does take to be out on the soccer field and and have the endurance. Plus, in soccer, you only get three subs in the international level, so that player needs to be on the field and needs to be fit. So that's an interesting tidbit for I think for the fans to see. I do love the contention. One of the players, I think it was Ali, who said we have the best team in the world and the second oh. best <laughs> team in the world. Yeah. Is that still true now, or is that hyperbole? Just trying to compliment. I, we have a strong squad. I think that I think she's saying we have a strong squad, and I think the U.S. does have a very deep team. Um, that, that anyone coming off the bench could make a difference um, in the game. And I think we'll see how it plays out when they play France in the quarterfinals. So that's really going to be the testament of how strong this team is together. Is there a part of you that as you see other countries performing better on the field, that, that that's a reflection of how much they're investing in women's soccer in their own countries, right? Yeah, it's, the dream team effect. Well, it is, and it, and, it, and it's it's so huge. And I think everyone looking at some of these, kind of like Thailand, the first game with the U.S., they're new to the World Cup, first-time World Cup. Obviously, they're not getting the, the support financially or coaching-wise that other countries are getting. But now, after that um, first game and being in the World Cup for the first time, they're going to go back like, we need to invest in our, our women. We don't want that to happen again. We want them to compete. Well, you see the barometers of success for each team mm-hmm. is malleable. For for the U.S., it's win the World Cup. Mm-hmm. For others, it's just get there. For some, it's score a goal. I mean, it we, is. we saw some major celebration just for scoring a goal. Well, I think it is, especially those teams that haven't had the opportunity. And, and this is the biggest field for the Women's World Cup, 24 teams. I mean, this is... it's. It's allowing more teams to have that opportunity to compete on the on the biggest stage, and um, hats off to all those. I mean, Costa Rica, um, I mean Chile, um, Scotland, all first timers. Um, South Africa, I mean Cameroon, I think too. 
Um, so all these teams have the first time in the World Cup, and, and they're celebrating it. And now they now after this um, performance, they need to now back invest it financially, coaching, grassroots, getting young girls playing the game. That's what everybody has, has to, to do. do. We yes. have to. How do you yes. connect better with the youth in a not just once every four year cycle? Even here, I mean, this is the now we're talking about the mm-hmm. business of women's soccer. So far, has not been all that successful. Right. I think I think in the U.S. this is the one area we're trying to get a hold of. I think we have so many opportunities for youth to play the game, pay to play, more model um, than than I think um, we need. I think we need to have those grassroots where giving opportunities for all kids to play um, because some don't have the financial background to be able to do it. Um, we I, I have a camp with me, Hammond's Hitch Venturini, Team First Soccer Academy, and we travel around the country teaching grassroots kids the game of soccer through our love and passion of the game. So any ways that we can help the game grow and give those young girls uh, a visibility of seeing someone like, oh, my gosh, these girls played. Now they're coaching and we're learning from them. Then that gives them hope and dreams. And I think we got to keep that alive for the young people. But also U.S. soccer has to take a hold of it in our country and invest the way they invest in the men's side. Give us a sense of how much things have changed over your Career and, and post career. I mean, you, the first U.S. professional league you played in was the Continental Indoor League, right? Yeah. You were the only woman <laughs> yeah. uh, in the league. Uh, and then you played in a handful of leagues that no longer exist, right? Correct. Kind of precursors to, to the NWSL, what we have today. How much progress has been made since the early 90s through yeah. to where we are right I now? I mean, it's, it's changed a lot. I mean, I grew up playing with boys. So growing up in the, um, in the 80 or seven, I was born in 71. So 70, 80s, there wasn't a lot of females there. So I was playing with the boys. And then right before the 95 World Cup, I was, or right after 95 World Cup, I, I joined a, a team, the Washington Warhogs in the CISL, the professional league. And I just ran into about five of those guys on the team. What swag do you still have? You have a shirt, a hat? I have t- the jersey. There you I go. Have with all swag, and yeah. I, back then and in, in college, we used to wear everything so big. I, I swear it goes down <laughs> to my knees. I'm like, what were we thinking? Um, but and just look at that. So we're, I was just trying to find a place to play. And now there is places to play. I mean, there wasn't a club system when I was going through um, the ranks as a, as a young player. It was ODP back then, Olympic Development Program. So there are definitely ways that has grown. I just think it's just grown really like wide instead of a little bit more narrow where there's more of a direction for it. But I think we can um, hopefully get a hold of that. Um, and people know about it. I mean, I'm here today with you guys, you know, talking about soccer. So I think that's incredible. And social media has changed the outlook of connecting with individual players and and teams and being more aware of what's around in just the world in general. Are companies going to capitalize on the real opportunity in women's sports now? It's good corporate citizenship now. I think so. I mean, look at what you just see in all. I mean, look at Lunabar doing that for the U.S. team to even out there. Earmarking some of the money for the solely for the women. Yes, that didn't even out their their bonus from U.S. soccer and then Lunabar. Finished it out to even out what the men got. Um, so you're just seeing that uh, and doing what's right. And then, I mean, I've written this book, Powerhouse, and our chapter three of the book is about doing what is right. And I think this is where the corporations and businesses need to come in. And like, this is what's right. We've done this on the men's side. And look at the NBA, NFL. I mean, it's taken years. This, they didn't is that enough? Let me ask, though, and we're chatting with Christine Lilly, former women's national team player. In, in the corporate world, is that enough, doing what's right, or will there always be an eye on the return on investment? Well, I think it's both. You have to. But in the, on the when they when corporations, businesses supported the men's league, well, you didn't get an investment right back. It took time. 
And I think the problem is that we have they can invest in something and get a return. But now, well, hey, if we want to go in the right direction and, and really bring women's sports up, let's do it here. And then let's let's carry with it and carry with it and then look for that return. What was your first corporate partnership? Adidas. When was it? 1993. I signed okay. my first Adidas contract. And, and was there a point, maybe after the 99 World Cup, when, you know, you guys kind of exploded in, in, in fame, where you realized that, oh, this is another, this is a big business opportunity for, for me as a person and also me and my teammates? Most definitely. I think um, from 1995 was the first year we got the rights to our feet. Um, where Michelle Akers at the time uh, was discussing with Ombro and and the men's team was going through the same thing that used to when you joined U.S. Soccer you had the from the foot up feet up mm-hmm. that you were in in whatever Adidas was first and then Nike took over so we wanted the right to our feet so we could get sponsorship deals because on the women's side we didn't we weren't making money so this is one way we can make money so Adidas signed me in '93 and I've, I've I'm with them still today um, biggest impact I'd had on my career so I could be able to train and. And, and help. And then after 99, I mean, actually after 96 with Mia Hamm did the Pert Plus commercial, yep. when she flicked her hair, <laughs> we didn't give her any crap for that. No. Um, but that was, the, that was the start of it. Mia became the new face. And that's when the Olympics was so successful for women's basketball, gymnastics, synchronized swimming, track and field, women's soccer. And really push women's sports up, and that was the start of it. I know the the, the women on the current team, and, and there's a lawsuit right now between mm-hmm. the 28 players on the, the current roster and U.S. soccer. They are kind of wrestling with this idea of being both professional soccer mm-hmm. players, full-time job, and also kind of being activists in their own way. Was that something that you struggled with or dealt with when you were a player, kind of having to balance... You know, the, the passion of being a soccer player with, with the expectation that you were also representing something much bigger than just the United States women's soccer team? Right. I think when we started, I made the team in 87 and the national team started existence in 85. So it was rather new. And in the beginning, uh, when, when I got asked to join the team. But that's as a high schooler. That's, I was 16. It, yeah, it's hard to take this broad worldview perspective. Well, that's my point. So, but even then, we they're like, here, sign this contract. I was like, okay. And <laughs> what I was signing was, I was signing my life away. I wasn't getting any rights, any pay. We got $10 a day. So we kind of didn't know what was out there. We didn't know that, oh, maybe this is something we should get paid for. Maybe I need to get the likeness to our images. So if they're using it, we you get You had no food. agent? Not at the time. No way. Okay. None of us. I don't think any of us did. And plus, I was in high school, so I, <laughs> I couldn't even get paid anyway. <laughs> but then as the sport grew, and then we started to understand and get a hold of what's going on, and we're like, hold on, this isn't right. So then we realized it was bigger than just us. And we're like, you know what? There's things that are going on that aren't right, and we're going to take a stand. And then we started those, you know, fighting for, you know, pay. Or we also fought for when you have a pregnancy, um, nannies on trips, mm. all these little things that enabled us to continue to play. And... Um, then get on the soccer field. Was there field. was there a specific thing? I mean, you mentioned you know some of those right there, and also get it, getting the rights to to sign marketing for your shoes. Any specific things that maybe the public didn't hear about that that were really kind of influential in in, in making those incremental steps? Well, I think when we met with um, our our I think it was our second lawyer, John Langle, we had a meeting and. Um, I wasn't. I was out during when he started when he first came in the meeting, and someone's like, "Where is?" Lil, and someone's like, "Well, she's going to get bagels." So when we then somebody practice, has to. Well, exactly. So <laughs> I must have lost with or without short, a smear. I don't know. <laughs> I lost the short straw, and I was headed out. But we didn't. U.S. Soccer wasn't providing that. Hmm. 
a meal after practice. And he was like, hold on here. We need to start having some changes. So did the men have food? Did you know? Yes, the men did have they, food. They did have mm-hmm. food. Now, that's when I don't, that to me would be indefensible right now. That's yeah. an indefensible difference. Right. I'm, I'm wondering, do you have any sympathy for U.S. soccer's argument in that the male cycle just generates more revenue? It's not team versus team. It's collective mm-hmm. men's soccer, the, the World Cup versus the Women's World Cup that there's just a bigger pool of money available? Well, that's like a not just a simple question because then we got to bring FIFA into play. So if the men qualify for the World Cup, FIFA gives yes. that country money. When the women qualify, I don't think we get anything. That might have changed this year, but I don't think we've never gotten anything. When we won a World Cup, I think we got $3 million. Or this the, the 15 team got $3 million, and then Germany, who won, or France, won, got $35 million. So that's from FIFA above. As U.S. soccer um, goes, they say they their argument used to be like, well, the men are generating more money, and then our argument started to be, well, if they are, where are the dollars spent on marketing for the men, and what are the dollars spent on marketing for women? Because if you're not marketing us, then how can we generate? But if you're marketing the men, then they're generating. So I think now I think it would be really interesting to see the statistics on that and how much dollars are spent on the women's side compared to the men's in marketing and advertising and seeing how they generate. It sounds like you have sisters in arms all in sports because this is the exact same argument I hear from Mm -hmm. WNBA players Mm -hmm. right now. They understand that, no, I'm never going to make an NBA salary right now. But what they're saying is we need more investment to maximize what we're able to do. Right. So I think a lot of people sometimes miss that part of it. It's not just we want more money. It's we want more investment to grow the game in its totality. In essence, respect. Yes. And along those, I'll tell you another quick story. Back in the day when we'd have flights just to fly wherever, you would see the U.S. women's team in middle seats. Like you look down the road and you see all like red sweatshirts. <laughs> and we're like, can we just get an aisle? <laughs> and we laugh because we're like, really? And right. I'm not sure what the men were flying. I'm sure it wasn't middle or maybe economy at the time. I've been surprised at how global, specifically in soccer, this movement has become for, for, for women's mm. equality. I mean, the, the best, arguably the best player in the world chose not to play yeah. in the World Cup this year for, for Norway. Right. Marta, who is another one of the most famous, always outspoken, but has been very vocal. I feel like there has been a lot of conversation, especially around this World Cup, um, about what specific countries are doing, mm-hmm. how other countries can do better, looking at you know models, whether it's the American model or elsewhere, about about what what can be replicated in other places. That that feels like something that is a bigger asset for soccer than say the WNBA, which doesn't really have kind of the same global appeal and and family relationships that that, that soccer has. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. I don't know what the you know the world of women's basketball is like overall, but I think you know. The World Cup is such a, a big event, and soccer is the biggest sport in the world, so I think it gets that attention in, in, in itself. And I think um, with the platform we have now for just women speaking speaking up um, and you know sharing things that aren't, aren't right in the world for them and, and giving us respect and, and opportunity to have these same things that men have. And I'm not—and everyone's like— this and this. It just I think we just need to keep moving in the right direction and, and looking at women and men as people instead of just as this is a female and that's a male. I'm wondering in your book, what part does gender dynamics play in teamwork? I was always told growing up that women work better together in groups than men because <laughs> ego gets in the way. 
what did you address that at all? Did you uncover any of that? You know, we didn't. the The book Powerhouse is based on the success of the U.S. team in sharing tactics that that we use to help us be successful. That any organization uses. Which so ones would be applicable to business? Oh, well, everything. Everything <laughs> okay. in the book. All I mean, you talk about leadership, you're talking about chemistry, you're talking about ethos, setting your foundation. What is leadership? I mean, but leadership, what does that mean? Well, I, that's, that's, I always go to Sun Tzu. Remember, yeah. the, that's, Phil Jackson gave Kobe Bryant Sun Tzu's The Art of War, mm-hmm. and he didn't tell him why. He wanted him to, to come up with it himself. And in essence, the message was, if you're the general and it's a, a rainstorm outside, you can't have a tent while everybody else sleeps in the rain. Mm-hmm. They will not follow exactly. you. Yeah. So that's, what does leadership that, mean to you? Give me, give me the concrete in, in the soccer term. Yeah, well, I think um, I think you look at Anson Dorrance, who started, was the second coach on the national team, set, the, set it for our team, um, the foundation in the very beginning. You know, we play for each other, and that was a common theme. And Carla Overback, our captain of the 99 team, she was the perfect leader in essence, just what you're talking about. If we're going to go to practice and there's a ball bag, she didn't walk by it and wait for someone else to pick it up. She picked it up. So our leader was doing the things that she was expecting of all of us. So when, when you had a choice of whether, oh, oh I'm not going to get that cone, but then you see your, your captain doing that, you're like, you better do it. So the example set by someone you're looking up to and earning the respect of um, is huge. And then that builds the camaraderie around informal leaders, per se, underneath Carla to really reiterate what we're trying to do together as a team. The book also includes interviews with non-athletes, right, Marissa Mayer, mm-hmm. the former CEO of Yahoo. Are there things that you saw, I mean, big big differences between kind of how the corporate leadership structure works versus how leadership in, in, in soccer works? Well, I, when we was listening to that conversation with her, it was basically, it, was she... They, had, they always had time for open communication so you can share your, your thoughts and then present them. You know, they weren't always going to take them, but they wanted to hear them. And that long line of Tony DiCicco, we used to have leadership meetings and the leadership would come in, five of us, and we'd share some information. He's like, I hear you, but I don't agree with you. So, and there were times where he's like, okay, that makes sense. So I think, I think definitely parallel to the business world than anything do, but communication is one of the most important things to have to have it going on, good dialogue. And we can see in the U.S. game, um, uh, last game when our goalkeeper, Lissonera, and Becky Sauerbrunn had a little miscommunication Whoops. and a goal. <laughs> but they, they came through and they reorganized and they both stepped up. So it there can be some sides where it goes down, but then also helps you be more successful. Does the U.S. just have more talent right now? U.S. is very talented. Yeah. Very talented. Plus the intangibles we're talking about, which is what makes them... Better or I'm really wondering if it, it is it just the talent difference that even if they hated each other, yeah. they could still win. Well, they could possibly win, but will they continue to win? And I think that's what the, our book was uh, so important using the U.S. team because it wasn't just one time. I mean, from '87 to 2010 when I played, we played. I played in five World Cups, three Olympics, and the lowest I we the U.S. team came was in third place. So we were constantly we were in the top three or in all eight big events. So yeah, you could probably win maybe once, but you want if you want to continue to win, you have to build that ethos, that chemistry, that connectiveness together, um, and that mentality, and to do what's right in the same process. It seems like the, the byproduct also of you have your team leaders, generally the older players, mm-hmm. and they're indoctrinating the younger players. Yeah, and that's that system of how to is one that just continues to pass itself down. Because now, now you've got Alex Morgan, and now you'll have your even younger players mm-hmm. after that. Most definitely. It, 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 and it's important. I remember being a young player on the team, and I'm, I remember first five years, I was just like, okay, yes, okay. I didn't say anything. I listened to everything. I did what I needed to do, uh, picked up things for the older people, and was like, okay, I'm going to make sure I, I take, it, take it all in. And then you become the veteran. 
or the graying player, a person in the business world in the green. And I'm familiar with it. Yeah, <laughs> we all are. <laughs> and you got to give back and you got to show them what it takes. And I think at the highest level, like the U.S. team, you're competing all the time. You're competing for your position. You're never set. I had 23 years, but every year I knew I could lose my job like that. So you're competing for a position, then also bringing success to a team. And that's a really... Did you ever get to the point where you were helping a younger person who might take your job? Um, yeah. And if someone did it for me, then I did take her job. And so <laughs> in the book, but that's what it was about. It was about success of the team. It wasn't necessarily about an individual. Obviously, you wanted to be on that team or in the starting lineup. But if you weren't, okay, now your choice is to be... Grumpy and blah, 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 or like, okay, this is my new position. I'm going to support it. I'm going to support my team and find the role that's going to help this team be successful. I want to talk a bit about professional soccer in the U.S., specifically for, for women. Um, first question, do you feel as though, I mean, there's a lot of European clubs, big, rich clubs are now investing more and more money mm. in, the, in, their, in their women's clubs. Is there a risk right now of, for the U.S. being this dominant power on the international stage but, but suddenly missing out on the, the push to, to, to really become the best U.S. professional country as well? I think so. And um, I, I think it's just come aware when all these Real Madrid's going to have a women's team, the Spanish League, um, the French have had it. Um, Sweden's had a league. England's really getting the support financial dollars. And I think um, I'm afraid that's what's going to happen here in the States. And I think when I when you think of soccer, it's such a global game. And obviously in the States, it's here, but it's still bigger everywhere else. And I think this is what's happening in the rest of the world with the the success of these um these other countries like England and they're backing them and being like, okay, let's make this the best league. And and oh, some of our players have already gone and played in France a bit, um, but we need them here to help this league. But then we also need that financial investment. So, so what if you if they asked you kind of what your advice was in terms of how to how to kind of help fix what we have right now? Is it investment from corporations? Is it media buy-in? Is it is it, does it have to come from fans? Do more people just no, have to buy tickets? I mean, what's the... It's all of it, unfortunately. Yeah, and I think the tickets it's used, and, and it's the season's March to September or October. Um, it, it's the summer months where people aren't stable in their homes. Everyone's vacationed here and there, so I think that plays a role, but I think visible, being visible. We, you got to get the spots on TV. You got to get where it's constantly seen over and again. Um, and it's got to grow. I mean, it's like, do the chickens, do the eggs come first chickens? Like, we need all these components, but we need them together to help the sport grow. And, and we're seven years in, so we're still young. And it's growing pains more so than failures, I think. I feel I, hear, I feel as if the, you see the young girls out there and young boys, you, it's, a, it's more than a simmer, not quite a boil. Mm -hmm. But it's there. It is. So you would think that... When you have the potential for that many eyeballs, and if, if I just bring it down to dollars and cents, future consumers, somebody, more than somebody, would rush in to fill that void. But nobody's rushing. It's it's this it's this march, I guess. I I, I agree, and I think um, we're all kind of feeling that and trying to figure out what's what's the niche here. Where do, what do we need to what do we need to break here to get to that boiling state of everything? Because a lot of kids are playing the game. Um, it's there. They are watching it on TV. Um, the Premier League. I mean, the fact that there's so much soccer on in the U.S. on Tuesday, Wednesday, and Saturday, Sunday. It's incredible from when I was growing up. And now, like I said, it's the visibility. And if we keep the women's game still visible out there for people to see instead of just the World Cup every four years or the Olympics, um, then that helps. Have you had enough support from the top male players? 
There, I think, I think so. I think. Um, I don't hear any banging the drums here. No, but I, I, I think the, the men on the other side are just trying to get their feet back on the ground after not qualifying. So, um, their focus is there. I mean, I, I don't know what their their words will do. I mean, the support obviously would be great to hear more so that you know the women, um, but I, um, but I don't know how consistent that can be. We have always the list of top paid athletes and what's what is the ceiling if there is one for alex morgan i mean oh. she has she ha- what one why has she because yeah. that opens up i think another conversation yeah. but why has she and where can she go oh i think it's just well i think first off the the game has given her this opportunity so her playing as long as she can i think will will help um i don't think it's necessary i think she's branched off in so many different avenues with books a movie um different sponsorships that she she has and businesses that she's and hopefully she's were advised yeah. well to be able that's to what everyone's empire. trying to do one mm-hmm. you don't just stick to one tentpole one begets mm-hmm. the next begets the next yeah, yeah everybody should have a podcast a little <laughs> mini docuseries a book <laughs> a, a cooking show I, and I and I mean that that's what yeah. it I, that's I, what it boils down and to. And I think on, on for us on the female side of it, we see it as a window, and the window closes for us. I think for the men, it doesn't close because I mean, I in my career, and I I'm I gotta make a living. You know, if if a man won two World Cups and two gold medals, I'm not sure they would be be like, okay, what do I have to do now to make some ends meet? You know, so I think it's different. So the, we're looking to make a living. So and then the window you have on the national team, it could be five years, ten years, and you're trying to get what you can in that sense to be able to survive after or go into something yeah, else. I get a sense their brands, a lot of the top players now, mm-hmm. their brands have staying power. I think they do. And I think that due to social media and I think where society is with everything, and I think it's wonderful. I think, you know, some of them are starting a clothing business. You yep. know, there's all different avenues that they are, are reaching, and, and that's looking at the bigger picture for them. And, uh, but I think what they have to remember right now, they got to win against France. Well, it, it, well, it's funny you say that. Because but because it, I think it, that's what they want. Like they, the other stuff, they, they of course is going to continue. But in their heart to heart, they want to win this world. It's <laughs> all predicated on that. Yeah. You got to be the best in the world. And that's a, that per se is not necessarily in the men's world. You don't have to necessarily win to be able to have all those things. You know, Messi hasn't won a World Cup in his life. I mean, obviously the pro leagues are different. But on the women's side, it's like we got to win in order to make money. I took my son to see the Copa final at MetLife Stadium, and Messi had the audacity to miss a penalty. My son was like, why are we here? <laughs> I had to explain. Hey, even the best miss sometimes. Uh, well, I explained that. But you want you want a fun exercise? Yeah. I mean, a really fun exercise? I, I love fun. Have two kids under the age of eight, one who understands and one who doesn't understand, <laughs> try to explain aggregate scoring? It's all. It's, I have hard times. Okay, well, that's what I'm saying. It's a great, I mean, you want a good time. Just keep keep an eye on that conversation. Uh, I actually want to go back to something you just said about the yeah. popularity and in terms of men and women and comparing, you know, your success internationally to what a, a male yeah. might receive post retirement if right. he had had the same success. I, I I don't know factually, but I feel anecdotally. I think women soccer players are so much more famous in the U.S. than men's soccer players. If you were to ask an oh, average— Nobody could name any other I can team. name so—and not just because the World Cup is happening right now, but even yeah. going back, I can I can name so many more female U.S. soccer players than I can male U.S. soccer right. players. Um, but it is interesting to me that, that the—I guess the commercial opportunities— really aren't there. I mean, I think well, Abby Wambach think... is more famous than almost any former yeah. U.S. player out there right now. And I would say the same about 
Mia Hamm and a yeah. number of uh, uh, there's just so many brand household names in women's soccer that don't exist in the men's game at all. Oh yeah, I, I agree, and I think. Uh, uh, partly, I think the success helps that you know that we've won, but I also think we spent a lot of our career promoting, <laughs> not ourselves but the team. Like we're out, like in the in the '99 World Cup, we spent 14 months promoting that World Cup. We were doing autographs, we were doing sneak attacks, you know. So we were out there selling the game of soccer, not just ourselves but the game. And when we became household names after '99, and then obviously this team is. Everyone knows majority of this team, and and the success has has a huge driven part of it. I think. I wonder, could there be a barnstorming tour? Of like, but who do you play? You need somebody to play yeah. all the time. Well, funny you bring that up. When we won in '99, um, U.S. Soccer wasn't gonna. They wanted to take us to Africa and play us there. We're like, we just won. How are we not growing the game? And we did a a, a tour, indoor tour, with Discovery Channel. And Toys R Us sponsored it, and we went around and we get local people to play against, or some guys, and we played a game, and all, tons of people came, and that's how we made money. <laughs> so we had to organize what, that. What, and, what and sort of the venue? What size venue was it? It was indoor rink, uh, all right, so. indoor like ice rink. And okay. now when you see the win, when the women win and they have a victory tour and they go around, that's because U.S. Soccer finally is like, okay, let's do this. How, how big is that window? I mean, we saw it four years ago after the, the women beat Japan. How if if the if the U.S. women win again in France this year, how how big is kind of the honeymoon window where the, the iron is so hot for? for that, I think it's to be a nice window this time. Yeah. I, I definitely do. I think there's there is just so much more support from the businesses and organizations and companies that want to get behind this group. And I mean, look at and fifteen when they had the parade here in in New York. You know, I think societies were ready for this. La women. Last question for you. I know you've been watching all the U.S. games. Obviously, I know you're heading to France uh, at the end of the week. When you watched the Thailand game in the, the beginning, 13 goals and, and the way the celebrations unfolded, was there any controversy in your mind or do you think that that was, that yeah, was that, all That's not how I taught you, ladies. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, the, the start of it, the goal differential makes a difference. So sure, the goal yeah. number itself, I, I understand. Um, if it's your first goal in ever at a World Cup, I totally understand. As, oh, the World Cup feeling escalates everything. Maybe a couple, just a little bit, <laughs> a little high five. Been there, done it. You know, have that. But but in the end, uh, Megan Rapinoe. <laughs> <laughs> but they also this is the way they've lived. This is how they they are. That's how their personalities are, and how they celebrate with with not just their team, with the fans. Awesome, Christine Lilly. Thank you for coming in. Thanks, guys. I'm struck by, Eben, just how little the players knew when they started playing soccer. Christine was like, yeah, they said, sign this contract. I said, sure, no problem. And then she said, I didn't realize I was signing my life away. I couldn't do X. I couldn't do Y. She didn't have an agent. She doesn't think any of the players had agents. Could you imagine today any entity like U.S. Soccer throwing a contract in front of a player? Yeah, let me sign it. I don't know. $10 a day. $10 a day. <laughs> no bagels after practice, even though the men had food after practice. And then there's the anecdote that you and I both loved. Yeah, the, the, the that idea of sitting in a, on a plane, looking down the center of the plane, the center aisle, the center seat, 
between the aisle and, and the window and seeing just red red hooded sweatshirts in every single one uh, because as you know and I know because you know I live it the the, the center seat is <laughs> is usually uh, the cheapest option uh, on the plane I think that's a that's a great visual um, another thing I, I took away I, I'm really interested by as, as the women's game grows more commercially you know the, these these women's soccer players especially the ones on the U.S. team here in the U.S. they're tremendously famous you know they are more famous than even I would think you know, uh, Abby Wambach, or, or to take it, someone from this team, Alex Morgan, is more famous than Christian Pulisic. Mia, right Mia now. Hamm still resonates. That that's what you need. I mean, that's what you need to know. Absolutely, but but even given that the commercial opportunities, you heard Christine say it, are, are still so much lower than they are for the men. So you know, looking forward to seeing how this World Cup ends up. But I would imagine uh, that win or lose, the women's national team is going to have more and more commercial opportunities moving forward. My goal is to be the number one pick. That's something I've been dreaming of since kids. It feels better to be number one than number five. I wear the number because of Mike. We have a chance to go for three in a row. Good numbers at a good time. When I first started wearing that number, I was just happy and proud. Bloomberg Business of Sports, the number of the week. Time now for our number of the week. We usually farm this responsibility out to Mr. Barr, but it fell on my shoulders. So I'm giving to you, Mr. Novi Williams, $6 million. Six million dollars is what Barcelona is going to pay Neymar per minute he's on the field. Close over the next five Close. years. Maybe Drew Brees. Drew Brees, six million. Any any clue? Oh, there was a lawsuit, right? He, yes. He recouped yes, six million dollars. Yeah. Yes. He sued a jeweler. Apparently, whatever diamonds or whatever else this jeweler gave Drew Brees was not up to snuff, mm. and he paid a lot more. So he was awarded six million dollars in a diamond lawsuit against this jeweler because the stuff wasn't so good. Yeah, Drew Brees needs that money really badly, so um, I'm really glad for him that he got that $6 Speaking million Speaking of back. Drew Brees, by the way, <laughs> the power of social media, quickly, did you see yeah. Zion Williamson showed up in New Orleans for the first time, entered his hotel room, and there was a, a, a signed jersey in a nice case for him from Drew? From Drew. And yeah. it pretty much just said, like, welcome, let's dance. Ah, so I, like, I, I want like. to see if Zion can make Let's Dance famous, how fast that goes around If I was Drew Brees, I'd be asking for the Zion Williamson jersey. Well, don't you, <laughs> why do you think? Oh, yeah, it's coming. Don't worry. It'll come back to him. You know that. <laughs> Absolutely. You have been listening to Bloomberg Business of Sports. We are here every week at the same time. And also online as an Apple podcast. You can catch that Mondays, Wednesdays, and Thursdays. I'm Eben Novi Williams on Twitter at Novi underscore Williams. And I am Scott Soshnick. You can follow me on Twitter at Soshnick. Thanks for joining us. Please tune in next week when we speak with the biggest and brightest in the sports business industry. You are listening to Bloomberg Business of Sports from Bloomberg Radio around the world.